Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, Mercy Commons. Uh, my name is Sean, and I am, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Nick and Karen are squeezing in a little time uh, here at the end of summer away, and they'll be back next week. Karen's actually going to be preaching on hospitality, which, uh, which I'm looking, looking forward to. Um, if, uh, if you were here last week, we actually also had a, a, a gift. Um, Vaughn Jarrett, who is a, a friend and a fellow pastor in the Advance, uh, in, in the Advance Network, uh, which we're a part of, was here and, uh, and, and preached on evangelism. But he did kind of more than that. He, just, he shared a lot of his own personal testimony. And uh, I wasn't here, but I listened. And I was like, man, uh, he really kind of gave of himself to us. So I would encourage you to, to, to go and listen Listen to that. Um, this morning, it's my uh, privilege to continue in our, uh, our uh, One Another series, our Life Together series, where we're talking about the One Anothers. We're talking about those things that we get to do with and for. You guessed it. One, one, one another. One another. Very good. Uh, right off the bat, I want to ask you to consider a question. Uh, this is just for you. I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to share this with me or turn to your neighbor and <laughs> share this either. Uh, I want you to uh, kind of just hold the question, kind of go on a little journey with me and be honest with yourself and honest with God. Just pay attention to what is coming up with you. Go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to pause for a second, maybe take a deep breath. Who in your life right now has frustrated you or hurt you, or made you angry? Who in your life right now has frustrated you, or hurt you, or made you angry? Who are you having a particularly hard time with? I want you to allow someone to come to mind. Next, I I want you to focus on the event, or the thing that happened. What, what did they do? What did they do? Can you identify something specific? Is there something specific that you can think of? Maybe it's actually hard to think of something specific. And if that is, I just want you to notice that. Now I want to ask you to pay attention to what emotion is coming with those thoughts. What are you feeling? When you think of this person, you're holding that person in your mind, and what they've done, what do you feel? You feel anger, sadness, irritation, loneliness, despair, disgust. What what do you what do you feel? Now I want you to forgive them. Go ahead, forgive them. Okay, you can open your eyes. I'm willing to bet in this room there were a number of different things that just happened over the course of the last couple of seconds that we just spent that little exercise. Some of you probably couldn't think of anyone, and that might be good, but it actually might be terrible if you're not very (laughs) self-aware. Like me, by the way, I tend to think, oh, I'm upset about something. (laughs) Right? It's paying attention. Some of you may have not thought of someone. 
Some of you thought of someone, but then you had trouble being really specific. It was kind of fuzzy or blurry. Uh, maybe you were just left with a general sense of dislike or negative emotions towards the person that you're thinking of. Then when I said forgive them, some of you may have felt a little stuck not knowing what that actually meant. <laughs> I mean, you know what the words mean, but it's like, ah, huh, what? Some of you may have thought, um, no, I, I'm, I, I, you know, I, can't, I can't do that, I won't do that. Some of you may have thought, I could forgive them, but, 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 and then there's a long list of uh, thoughts that, that, that go with that but. Some of you formed the words, maybe, Lord, I forgive them. But uh, they just felt like words. <laughs> like, uh, you know, when you say you're sorry because that's like the, the socially acceptable thing to do, you're kind of supposed to. Um, <clears throat> maybe for a very small number of people, though I honestly, honestly doubt probably very many of us um, legitimately released someone from what they did or forgave them because it's kind of hard to do. This morning, I get to speak about one of the most important things in our life with God and with others, and that's forgiveness. And more specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is not a suggestion that Paul is sharing with us. It's a command. And in one sense, it's a pretty simple command. But as we've all experienced in our lives, or even perhaps just reminded of through that short little exercise, forgiving one another can seem layered, difficult, and there's a lot of like, ah, uh, but, uh, huh, huh. There's a lot of things that are attached to it. It's not easy to do. Why is that? Why do we have a hard time forgiving other people? There are a lot of reasons for this, and I recognize when I'm preaching on something about forgiveness, there's going to be a whole lot that I don't say today. <laughs> this is a gigantic topic. Um, there's all sorts of reasons that we have, that we have trouble with, with, with forgiveness, but I just want to focus on four, just, just four, four things. First, we really don't see it as a command or a responsibility, like really. The second is that we really misunderstand what it is, what forgiveness really is. Third, there is bitterness and deception that can block us from offering it to other people. And fourth, there are parts of our hearts that don't yet really believe the gospel. They don't really, really believe it. I should say at the outset, a great deal of what I'm going to share today I've received from Tom and Katie Sappington, the announcement person and her, her husband. <laughs> uh, their, uh, their ministry of listening prayer and inner healing uh, deals specifically with this, and it's been a real blessing to me, to Valerie, to our church, um, and I highly recommend, uh, highly recommend it. So um, if I say anything good, you can attribute it to them. If I say anything dumb, that's all me. <laughs> uh, would you pray with me? 
Father, uh, we know that you take forgiving seriously. We know that you have done everything to forgive us. There's parts of us that still struggle with that. Father, pray for my brothers and my sisters that are here, that if there are places that are wounded and closed off to your healing, closed off to your forgiveness, and thereby closed off to forgiving others, that you would bring a little bit of healing this morning. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You came to set the captives free. Would you set us free? It is for freedom's sake that you set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do we struggle with forgiving one another? Well, so we don't see it as an unavoidable command and responsibility. That's the first, that's the first point. You know, forgiveness is one of those things, we're all for it if you're forgiving me. <laughs> we don't have any trouble at all being all for the idea of forgiveness when it's about me uh, getting, getting forgiveness. It's the other side of the coin that we kind of struggle with, right? Um, there are a lot of verses talking about how God uh, will forgive us and God does forgive us and he is a forgiving God and we thank God for that. We're gonna circle back on that at the end of my, uh, my sermon today. But there is also a lot of verses <laughs> about us forgiving each other. Jesus himself places a significant priority on us forgiving one another. It's not an option. <laughs> it's not a like, ah, it's nice to have. No. Luke chapter 6, I'm just going to blitz through a few verses here. These are Jesus' words. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Matthew 6, 19 through 15. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Prayer is so core to our faith. It's like, it's like bread and water to the body, right? Listen to the emphasis that Jesus places in teaching this basic fundamental thing of the faith. Listen to the emphasis that he places on forgiveness and forgiving one another. Jesus says, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We can see from these quotes that when Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, we understand that Paul is not creating a new command. He is building on the words of Jesus. He is building on the shore foundation. And his emphasis on the centrality of forgiving one another and the new family of God. 
How do we miss this? Like, how do we, how do we kind of miss it? I, I want to suggest that we've got to realize that we're a product of our highly individualized culture. Now, that's not entirely bad, but it's not entirely good either. We have to know this. There isn't a lot of we in our culture. There's a lot of me. On top of that, in the 1900s, the predominant kind of gospel message in the West particularly tended to only emphasize really one aspect, one aspect of the good news. That gospel message sounded a little something like this. If you grew up in the church, this is going to sound probably pretty familiar to you. Hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus died for your sins so that you could go to heaven. Right? It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's just not complete. It's not complete. Did Jesus, so let's put it this way. Did Jesus suffer and die taking on our debts and sins just so that we could have a comfortable life and a golden ticket to heaven someday? Or, or was God in Christ up to something much bigger than that? Paul tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. When we go to the beginning of the story, the beginning of our Bibles, the beginning of our story, we find the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in singular harmony and relational unity, making human beings in his image for relationship and for partnership. Relationship and partnership, that we would be with him and to rule and reign with him over the earth, to have dominion over the earth with him. Wow. Pause. Think about that. If you've grown up, like, that's what we were created for, to be with God and to rule and to reign and to have dominion over the earth. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned, and it caused a break in the relationship with God. We lost our place as his ambassadors and partners. Sin, guilt, fear, and shame entered the world for the first time, and they began to fracture relationships, fractures, breaks everywhere. We see it right away, like right away, straight up in Genesis, in the Genesis 3 account. Uh, Right after they eat the fruit, uh, you hear Adam's self-preserving response to God. (laughs) God comes and is like, where are you guys? And who told you you're naked? And what, what, what? And Adam's response is, well, the woman, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me gave me something to eat and I ate it. I don't know know how it happened, but it's her fault and it's your fault. In that moment, Adam blames Eve, and Eve experiences accusation and betrayal for the first time. She scrambles and blames the snake. He did it. Well, he did. God curses him. There is an enemy beyond our sin, by the way, that God's dealing with and always dealing with. But right there, relationship fractures starts real early and it perpetuates so we're jealous of one another we hurt one another 
We take revenge on one another. We lie to one another. We think we're better than one another. You get the picture. You're human like me. (laughs) Jesus was not just getting us a ticket into heaven. He was setting things right. He was reconciling the world to himself and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. He was and is restoring relationship and partnership. When we forgive one another, we join him in that work. We push back darkness. We heal fractures. We join the one who who says in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I'm making all things new. He was up to something much bigger. A second reason that we struggle to forgive one another is that we misunderstand what forgiveness basically is. The word Jesus uses in the verses we looked at has this idea of sending something away or releasing something. Forgiveness is about the releasing of a wrong done between persons, the the filling of a hole that was there, the, the, the elimination of a debt. Theologian Miroslav Volf put it this way, to forgive means to forego a rightful claim against someone who has wronged us. To forgive means to forego a rightful claim, it's rightful claim, against someone who has wronged us. To more fully understand what forgiveness is, I think it's pretty helpful to look at what it isn't. Some mischaracterizations of, of, of forgiveness. First, forgiveness is not, is not saying, ah, it's okay. Sometimes we don't offer true forgiveness because we minimize the offense and we pretend it's okay. Or we emotionally harden ourselves thinking something like, I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of knowing that they hurt me. Both responses avoid reality and therefore miss out on grace. By minimizing the harm or pretending that it didn't matter, you are not getting rid of it, brothers and sisters. You're stuffing it down. It goes somewhere. It goes somewhere. It will either turn up in deep-seated anger and resentment, or it will numb you and it will harden your heart and make you less open to God and others. Either way, it will move you farther from your father and farther away from other people. Fracture. This is not forgiveness. Let me, let me give you an example. This is not forgiveness. Hey, James, don't, don't freak out. I'm not going to ask you something. You hear somebody from the front say your name. <clears throat> hey, James, man, I, you know, I should not have lost my temper. And what I said was rude and hurtful. By the way, I'm making this up. I don't know I'd say anything to James. I should maybe clarify that, right? Um, you know, man, I should not have lost my temper. It was rude, it was hurtful. Man, I'm really sorry, and I hope you can forgive me. To which James, maybe feeling sympathetic towards me, says, and uncomfortable, really, because when someone says that, it's kind of uncomfortable, right? Ah, yeah, it's okay, don't worry about it. Or maybe he feels kind of a little bit cold and protective and says, I didn't notice, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. Both responses minimize. Both responses just say, that's okay. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's not true. Under every sin and harm done against people is the reality that we have sinned against God. When David slept with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, 
horrific, horrific. He wrote Psalm 51, and I thank God for it. He said, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. Like, you and you alone? Dude, what did you do? Like, but he understood it was not just what he did here. It was what he did here. It's not okay. It's not okay when people hurt you. And God does not think it's okay. We should not minimize. Second, forgiveness is not something we withhold until people are adequately sorry. Many of us have the thought that we shouldn't forgive someone until they realize what they did was wrong. We may even think that this is helping them in some way, that it's righteous and correct to wait for someone to come to their senses before we let them off the hook. Just makes sense. But this is not a gospel-centered response. It's pretty clear that God moved towards us first, isn't it? God did not sit back and wait until we got our act together to move toward us. The scriptures tell us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When the prodigal was a long way off, the father ran to him. (laughs) For us to take an arms-folded posture of waiting until they realize what they did is completely out of alignment with the heart of God, and it moves us off of the path of discipleship and away from Christ-likeness. Third, forgiveness does not require automatic reconciliation. Some people mischaracterize and think that to forgive means, oh, we're all good now, everything's great, we're just back to, we're back to normal. Listen, there are times where reconciliation and a return to relationship with someone that has harmed you would not be safe or wise. You can see this, you can even see this, although the analogy begins to break down because uh, we can't really harm God, but you can see this even in what God does towards us. Just because God offers humanity forgiveness does not mean that everybody's going to be reconciled to him. Just because you move to offer forgiveness does not automatically mean reconciliation. It could eventually. If there's, no, if there's no forgiveness offered, there will never be a reconciliation. But that reconciliation is in God's hands and should be covered with wisdom. So please know that if you have been in an abusive relationship, if you've been abused, if you have someone in your life who's continually hurtful, you are called to forgive them and work through forgiveness of them. But that doesn't mean that you should return to the relationship with them or that you should approach all of your interactions with them without any boundaries or without any wisdom. It's not the same thing. The final way that we misunderstand forgiveness is that we think it's uh, a tool to address relational annoyance or disagreement. You might be wondering, what in the world do you, what do you mean by that? Well, we live in a time where people are increasingly offended over minor slights, conflicts of personality, disagreements on positions, or differences around values, shared values. We see things differently sometimes. We bump into one another sometimes. When someone disagrees with us or has a different set of values from us, that does not necessarily equate to needing to offer forgiveness because you've been wronged. Our culture will tell you that that's true. It's actually not true. 
Remember, forgiveness requires a harm done. A harm done. When we seek to offer forgiveness for something that's not really a harm, it's potentially harmful and certainly counterproductive. You know, it requires a harm done. I mean, a silly example is like, you know, if I were to say to, to Sean, Sean, bro, I am, I'm just, I'm hurt that you're six foot four. <laughs> and we have the same name. And uh, it hurts me deeply. And, you know, I forgive you for that. I forgive you for being so tall, Sean. Really, I, I release you from that. Yeah, it's a really ridiculous example, but you get the idea that there has to be a harm, not just bumping into one another, not just when something rubs us the wrong way. Well, maybe it's just me, and i got to work that out. It doesn't have something to do with Sean being tall. Maybe I need to find some security in being five foot seven, which I have, in Jesus' name. <laughs> We've got to be discerning. Listen, when a boss says something to you that feels a little rude or too direct or a friend slights you accidentally by leaving you out of a get-together, that more often than not is what Paul refers to as needing to bear with one another, being patient with one another. Nick talked about that a few weeks ago. If that rings true, I encourage you to go listen to that message again. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. <clears throat> I think for most of us, I think for most of us, um, this is kind of where we live with forgiveness. I mean, there's some of us in here who have dealt with really difficult, deep, hard, tragic things. And that is its own really significant process and can take a significant amount of time. And uh, God will lead you through that. I don't want to minimize that. But I want to focus for a second on where most of us live each day. Most of us live each day around kind of the common mundane hurts and harms in the trenches of normal life, right? I think those are the things that rob us pretty consistently of our peace, our joy, and our fruitfulness. So what do we do with some of those, some of those things? I mean, these are, the, these are the kind of things where, you know, a colleague goes around your back and gets a promotion that was supposed to be yours. What do you do with that? This is when a family member makes presumptions on your family's schedule around the holidays and then throws a lot, of, uh, a lot of shade on the decisions you're making. I hear, I hear a little... <laughs> struck, struck a chord, didn't it? <laughs> this is when someone steals your boyfriend. This is when somebody cheats a Monopoly. Listen, from the really big things to the really seemingly small things, when we bump into one another and we become frustrated and we get angry and we feel wronged, you didn't pass go, I've been wronged. Listen, 
There is a third, there's a third reason why we have a hard time forgiving one another. And I think that it ties to this everyday, mundane kind of reality really, really well. And that is that bitterness and deception can block us from offering it to other people. See, when someone hurts us, frustrates us or sins against us, it is completely normal to have an emotional response. You are a human being, not a human robot. For most of us, the first response we'll have is anger. Anger. And there is nothing inherently sinful about anger. Anger is not a root emotion. It's a signal that points to a deeper area of hurt and a deeper emotion. It's data. It's information. We would do well to pay attention to it. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, that passage that we've been quoting, Paul says this, and I think it's particularly articulate in the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the scriptures. Picking up in verse 25, he says, What this adds up to, then, is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other, after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Make a clean break with all the cutting and the backbiting and the profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. The phrase, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life, can also be translated, don't give the devil a place in you or an opportunity. Tom and Katie, actually, in their ministry and in one of their trainings, pointed out that sitting, sitting on that anger and turning, allowing it to turn to unforgiveness is really the, the only sin issue that's linked directly to a warning of demonic influence. Do not give the enemy a place with you. There are patterns of sin that, that we get into that open us up to the demonic, but there's something about this unforgiveness, this bitter anger that we sit on and we seethe upon that just puts the welcome mat out to the enemy in our lives. Anger can become a really dangerous thing because anger is always self-righteous. Always. It is always, for us at least, <laughs> it is always self-righteous. That is what the emotion of anger is for. It's gonna flare up when you feel you've been wronged. The enemy would love to camp there and have you camp out there and make your bed there and stay there in that anger. The challenge, though, is maybe you weren't really wronged. Perhaps what they did just annoyed you. Perhaps it bumped up against an old wound that they had nothing to do with. 
They did something that reminded you deep down of someone who hurt you, and so you believed you were in that situation again, and you responded and reacted. And you camp out there. Another possibility is that maybe we've developed, maybe you've developed an ungodly judgment about the person. In describing a judgment like this, our own Mr. Sappington, put it like this. Oblivious, oblivious to our... It's a a good-looking man there, right? Oblivious to our own sins and shortcomings, we become fixated on the fault of others. Our eyes are so filled with their sins and shortcomings that we can't see anything else, including their personal strengths and their giftedness. We might even say that we begin to define them in terms of their shortcomings and their sin. The idea of a judgment where it becomes a pair of glasses that we see somebody through and all that fills those glasses is all that's wrong with them or what we think is wrong with them. And it can color and distort how we interact and relate to them. Lock us up and lock them up. The scripture warns us about this kind of judging of one another. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 14, 10 through 13. The truth is for us that outside of those scenarios where there's direct abusive situations, our insecurities and our pride are always in the mix. They're always, always in the mix with relational hurts. There's always two sides two sides to the coin. A tool that I have found really personally to be extremely helpful in my own kind of personal journaling uh, is, is something called the Ladder of Integrity from the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course that we've offered here at the church. Some of you may have, uh, have used that yourself. It enables you to process what you're feeling and why, to kind of explore Explore what about the situation exposes in you something. There's something that maybe this exposed in me. To get clear about whether it's something that I need to have a conversation about or if it's just something that I need to release to God and spend time with him. I have literally used it in a few really key moments where I was really working through something and found it to be extremely helpful. It's not a a tool for the airing of grievances. (laughs) It's a tool to process what's happening in myself to get clear on having a good, healthy conversation where I'm telling the truth to my neighbor. I'm speaking the truth to my neighbor. And I want you to notice that telling your, tr- telling your neighbor the truth is the antidote to not letting your anger turn to unforgiveness. If you are hurt, you get to work it out in community. You get to work it out with other people. That's part of the plan. I was recently, uh, I was recently talking to uh, someone who shared part of a story with me and um, shared how someone really close to him had really wronged him, like really, really, really harmed him, hurt him badly, talked about working through forgiveness towards this person, expressed how even in the healing process of forgiveness, they experienced uh, uh, 
really quite a bit of uh, healing when this person actually repented and apologized to them, to them which, which he, he appreciated. But he also realized like there was a moment when he had the opportunity, God had brought conviction to him, he had the opportunity to share what he had done wrong, what happened in his own heart and his own mind and his story. And he got to confess that to this person who had really wronged him. And he said, man, that, that brought a tremendous amount of freedom to me to share what I had done wrong, to take ownership for that. Because church, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I want grace. I hope you do too. The final reason we struggle with forgiving one another is that there are parts of our hearts that don't yet believe the gospel. The scriptures tell us what the devil, that the devil is the accuser. Band, you actually can come, come back up. The devil is the accuser. Do you know that? You've heard that? Anybody hear that before? I think we don't really believe it. I mean, we do. On a, in Sunday at church, when someone says, oh, he's the accuser, yes, amen. But like on Tuesday, when you screw up on something and you, and you start with the, the cell, same, samesies, still, still accusing, still the accuser. He doesn't play fair either. It's not a fair fight we're in. It's a street fight. Old pastor of mine used to say, in a street fight, you know who wins because of the one that's left standing. Apostle Paul tells us to stand, therefore, after we put on the armor of God. It's not a very lofty goal. It doesn't even say, take new ground, conquer, throw down gates. He's like, just stand up. Stand. The, script, the scripture tells us that the devil is the accuser. The enemy works over time to convince each of us that we're beyond hope, that you're a fake, that we're moral, Failures completely trash, not worth anything. If people knew what you did or what you thought, man, no one would love you. Come on. So-and-so doesn't do that. You do that, but so-and-so doesn't do that. Sound familiar? Anyone? Am I alone? No. It's the same tune it's got the same tricks, the same ploys. The reality is that there are places in us that are not yet renewed, that are not yet healed. There's old hurts and hang-ups that Jesus can heal and then help us to forgive. Forgiving, receiving his forgiveness involves a letting go of of, of the judgments that we have against ourselves as well. Sometimes part of learning to forgive is not only just to receive the forgiveness of God, but is to recognize that I don't have a right to judge myself. If God does not judge me, I am in Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you are self-condemning this morning, I have a word for you. You don't have a right to do that. 
someone died for you, shed his blood for you, and is present to you. We do not honor God by doing that. We actually dishonor him. We honor him by receiving what he did for us. An old, uh, one of my favorite authors, an old uh, itinerant preacher, Brennan Manning, who uh, was a raging alcoholic and rescued by Jesus and really complex figure. But because of his story, he experienced and tasted the grace of God deeply told the story of a um, old drunk that went into a bar with another drunk and they're sitting at the bar and going back and forth and yucking it up and one of them said you know man I love you I love you and the other drunk looked at him and said if you love me what hurts me he said what do you mean what hurts me what are you talking about say you love me if you don't know what hurts me. Jesus knows what hurts you. The God of all creation, the son of compassion, is what some theologians call Jesus, the son of compassion. He understands. He doesn't just offer us forgiveness because he theologically has to offers it freely because he wants to. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to be obedient for the joy that was set before him. He has forgiven us. We have been united. When we turn to God, we have been united. We have been united with Christ. It is no longer Paul put it this way, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm going to say that again. I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live Christ lives in me. He lives in you. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, loved you. Not just the collective you, the right in your face you. You loved you gave himself for you that we could also forgive others. Amen. Uh, but before we go to the tables and grab communion, I just wanted to share three different types of people I think can respond this morning. Um, the first is what Sean was talking about. Um, it can be difficult to forgive and it can be hard. You can struggle with unforgiveness, whether you're someone who minimizes um, things that have happened to you and you kind of just shove it away and ignore it, or if, if 
if those things are hard for you and you hold on to them and you hold grudges, um, I think that's one person that can respond, someone who has a hard time with unforgiveness. And then another person is someone who you have sinned against someone and they have truly forgiven you, but you're still holding on to shame and guilt that you don't need to hold on to anymore. Um, I definitely think you should respond if you feel that way as well. And then Joey has a third person um, that he would like to share. So the word fear, I just, I've been thinking a lot about fear. Um, and most of my life has been in fear, a lot of hurts, and, and holding on to bitterness. Um, and I couldn't forgive because I was afraid of what I might become, how people might see me. And so just have the sense that there's someone here that's been hurt, um, probably when you were young, when you're really little, and you've gone through life, and that's become a marker for you, who you are. Um, maybe you can, you can easily talk about what happened. Um, you talk about your testimony. It's, you just talk about it. But, and, and maybe there's a sense that you've forgiven because you can talk about it, but really not having forgiven. Um, and, and I, in this fear that, well, if I actually forgive them, who am I? What's, what's my testimony? If that hurt is gone, am I still the same person? And in a fear that if I forgive... Um, I'm not going to like who I am. and So yeah, I would love to, to pray for you, with you, to take that step um, out of fear. God, we, we thank you that you have given us the ultimate example of what forgiveness looks like. Um, we have a difficult time with it, and we're, we're not good at it, and our culture, um, our culture is not good at it, but we are so thankful that you have forgiven us even though we have sinned against you and ran in the opposite direction. And because you have forgiven us, you have equipped us to forgive each other. And I just pray that our community would be a picture of that um, to our city and to the rest of the world. Pray this in your name. Amen. If you're still receiving prayer or want to get prayer, feel free to continue to do that. Otherwise, um, you can head out to the back to the right and then the left all the way back and you can hang out with us and have donuts and coffee and have a good rest of your weekend thank you for listening to the mercy commons podcast if you enjoyed today's content please rate us and hit subscribe and if you'd like to learn more about us visit our website at mercycommons.church